0: The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Star Network, is a weekly audio show that educates new and experienced gamers about the awesomeness of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Turtle Splash, our game of the week, discuss what attracts us to a game in the school of gaming, and wrap it up with our high five game mechanisms. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I am your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, the esteemed Dr. Michael McCabe. How's it going, Michael?
1: It's gonna be a great show, Doug. You know how I know that? You're gonna you, be doing a lot of talking. Well, no. <laughs> you got through the intro perfectly. <laughs> one take. one perfectly. take, yeah. Not only one take, but the cadence, the enunciation. Mm. We are we're, this is gonna be a high performing episode. I, okay. I can
0: tell. This is going to be top five. The rest of them are pure garbage, so (laughs) don't go back and listen. this is the one we
1: send out to people when we're looking for a sponsor. (laughs) hey, listen to these guys.
0: All right. Well, speaking of sponsors and giveaways, let's get uh, that right out of the way. You've got one more week to submit a School of Gaming idea for a chance to win a copy of the Dice Hunters of Therion from Amigo Games. Uh, That deadline is going to be Wednesday, November 1st at 12 p.m., Central Standard Time. Yep. And I am not eligible. Do we decide that? I believe so. Okay. But all of just your kids are. i to check
1: my kids are. Okay. <laughs> so that's three possible entries. I yeah. Did I for
0: get me. Eliza to get a school of gaming segment out there. You don't want that. No, you okay. do
1: not. Want she, will, she will come up with some ideas.
0: So that was based on our uh, game of the week last week, the Dice Hunters of Therion. Uh, so we appreciate Amigo Games for yeah, working thank with you for doing that guys. on that. Um, There's been some awesome discussion on, speaking of last week's episode, some awesome discussion on game spaces, game nights, and game recommendations, all based on last week's episode over on the Discord server. So if you have not signed up for that or you're not involved in there, please do that. Gameschooler.com slash Discord. It's a great community of of people sharing their game spaces, ideas, what they're playing recently things that have worked and haven't worked for them. So uh, a really good tool and resource if you're interested in family gaming and game schooling and, and things like that.
1: Yeah, and I need to get caught up. I'm about a week behind because <laughs> I've only been playing games. So yes. I'm looking forward to hopping into our Discord. I know that sounds really, like, silly, but no, I, when I get home tonight and plop down on the couch, I'll probably jump in and get caught up. So I'm right. got me excited to get back <laughs> into our Discord. And, you, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. no.
0: No, you go, go,
1: go. Well, and, and to our longtime or new listeners, if it's your first Discord, I don't know if there's a better spot to just jump into because everybody's really kind and very helpful. So tell them one more time how they would get into it.
0: Yeah, gameschooler.com slash Discord is going to have kind of a brief description and, and everything that you need to know going into it on, on what that's going to be like. Uh, Again, gameschooler.com slash discord. Anything else to follow up from for last week?
1: Not to follow up. No. Well, I do have, I told people I would be following up, but I'm, I'm going to, I went to a convention this past week and I intentionally have told you very little about it Mm -hmm. because I was there for three days and my plan, I'm going to work my follow-up and what's awesome with gaming into the next three episodes. So today I will follow up on day one. Oh, great. So the cliffhangers (laughs) continue, folks.
0: Michael went incommunicado for three days, couldn't get a hold of him.
1: All I did was play games, missed out on all this Lorcana updates with you and our buddy. (laughs) Yeah, I, I didn't know if you got it, didn't get it, but I would like to talk a little bit. Uh, and, the floor and, is yours. Uh, wonderful. And just break down two different categories. So category one, uh, games that I signed up for. So games that I knew I was going to play or attempt to play heading uh-huh. into the convention. And then category two is called the serendip we were having a 10 out of 10 segment mm. but games that sounds I, like me describing a designer name happen <laughs> <laughs> just games that I happen to play okay uh and, and i had a blast i made new friends got new uh gamer friends that are in my phone now that we can you know connect with and play in the future so um day one to to kind of just set the tone and, and if i'm being honest i was huh really nervous i went to game hole con in madison it's our our local uh regional convention it's at the alliant energy center and there's a couple of nice hotels that are within walking distance and basically attached to it it's a thursday friday saturday sunday convention and it is a playing convention there is a small they don't call it an exhibit hall they call it a dealer hall mm. And then there are the wheel, people, wheeling and Dealen, and all. then when you got the 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 dealers who want to min max, they have demo tables which are mm. outside in the hallway, which I think is even more premium space. But hey, this is my thing. But to bottom line it, it is a wonderful little regional convention, and I where a, a lot of people are playing games. Yeah, um, and I min maxed a little bit myself. I signed up to to GM. So if you run fourteen hours worth of games, you get a free badge. I like free, free. Michael picked one 14-hour game. <laughs> I actually divided up over three games um, because I wanted to play games that either I haven't played with other humans or haven't played at all to know if they deserve to be on my shelf or if I should get them into a new home because I played some of my hobby games. Sure. So some of the games I'm going to talk about are on that Hobby side. Um, so please just keep that in mind before you go out and drop 185 to pick up the game if I get you excited talking about it. But the first game, so not not ones I'm gonna be playing with my six-year-old, not yet, potentially, yeah. Uh, and I'll I'll go through these fairly quickly and succinctly. But this first one I am gonna spend some time and talk about because it's one that I looked at on Kickstarter in 2020, and believe it or not, Doug. I passed on it and said, I'll wait till that goes to retail. Hard to believe. Well, it is, especially for that time (laughs) in my life. And that game is called City of the Big Shoulders. And it also goes by the name Chicago 1875, uh, City of the Big Shoulders. So I'm going to talk for about two to three minutes about the game. What you need to know about it, it is not readily available now. But the good news is, according to the designer, Quinted Games, the folks who also did Carnegie, um, have a reprint coming up. So it's not widely available now. There were just you know a few thousand uh, Kickstarter folks that backed it. But in City of the Big Shoulders, it takes place in Chicago after the Great Fire of 1871. And the game's played over five rounds. Each round is a decade, so you're leading right into the Depression. And the cool thing about that game, you're buying companies. And when you buy into a company, um, so... I should probably just stick to my run sheet so I don't get people <laughs> totally confused. Uh, but it's a hobby-level economic game that's set in Chicago. And the, at the start of the game, a player is buying into the company. And you receive the director st- stock, so you automatically get 30% of the company. We played the basic way, so there were no takeovers. Believe it or not, everything I'm about to describe, there's an even more advanced, super mean way. Uh, but the game has a few <laughs> different phases, and the first phase is that stock phase where you're going around and buying or selling companies, and that's going to impact the, the price of the stock. And then there's a building phase, which is very quick, where you just place a little tile down out of three options, and you're building the city over time. And when I read it in the rules, I thought, eh, I don't know about that phase, but what's really cool when you're playing with four players you actually do see these buildings come out, and they, they're more and more awesome over time because that takes you into the action phase where you have these two little workers that go out and take movements on behalf of your company, uh, and they're called partners, and you can do things throughout the game to try to earn a third or even a fourth. And then it goes into uh, the action phase, and that's where your company produces stuff that you're then going to be able to sell off and then your company has money. Um, I was nervous because I was teaching this game. Yeah. So I had about 12 to 15 hours of prep into this one. I started in the middle of September and the rule book, a great game. So I just want to start with that. This was my game of the convention because I just had a blast playing it. One hour to teach, four hours to play and it was perfect. And even at the end, I thought, I want to run that back. I want to play. <laughs> uh, so it did take me an hour to set up as well. Fortunately, I had the 9 a.m. slot, and there wasn't a, a Seven Wonders uh, Architects happening at my table before. Yeah. Um, but what made the game, it was, you know, I, two other people were signed up to play. This guy was walking around right at about 8.30. He's like, what are you playing? Oh, uh, you know, it's City of Big Shoulders. It's an economic game. You're, you've you got your own personal money that you're buying stocks, and your company's got money that you're trying to make goods. He signed up and played, and it made the game. Having a fourth player, and he was a very verbal learner, so he was basically uh-huh. repeating back everything I was saying, and everybody helped with the teach, kind of yeah. helped to get the game lifted off the ground, and that's what made that such an awesome uh, experience for me, uh, just going through and it was really, really close at the end. So just uh, two more minutes here to unpack this a little bit. If you like raccoon tycoon, you know, that, that has an economic (laughs) element. If you like Irish gauge and you're looking for a hobby level game, then you must know this. And I just shared some of it, but it did take five hours. So, and it is a one hour And the teach isn't just you're going to sit and learn the whole game. You kind of have to go through that first decade together and allow people, you know, some of the table, Ritcon, I'd like to undo that Command Z. And so we all had our (laughs) own little shorthand that we were bringing to like, I'd really like to undo that last turn. And we were, and, and I don't know outside of a convention experience how many people have that type of game group and that many patient people that are willing to do it. So, so go how, ahead. how
0: many people were new to the game? Was everybody? All four of us. Okay. All four of so us I were think, new. I think that makes a big difference. Huge difference too, too. Because if you had just one person that knew that game forwards and backwards, depending on their type of gamer, yeah, can be a situation where it's like, that can make it really awesome if they're a helpful gamer or a disaster if they're kind of a jerk.
1: Yeah. Right? And I want to jump in on that. So we're in the last round and I own Cracker Jack and I have built this company up. So oh, for the last four hours, it is. Are you giving them better the, prizes the, than the, real life? I am. I'm real money. Uh, <laughs> Roxley, Iron Clays. the last four hours I'm building this company, I'm getting invested. The most of that a single player can own is six shares, right? 60% of the company. And, um, you can tank a company by selling a share. Every time you sell a share, the share price goes down. So I've been steadily building for four hours to build this company. I'm thinking, I just hope nobody buys it. Two other people at the table each own a share. They could tank this thing. The last hour of my hard work could go down. And I knew the guy sitting next to me was a lot smarter than me and he saw the same thing and he didn't do it. So then when my last buy action, I bought the, the sixth share that I could get, the final share. I couldn't believe the table let me do it. Listen to these scores at the very end of the game, 4,118 points. At the end of the game, all you're doing is selling off the shares in your company and you're adding up your money that you have. You're combining the two. So it's dollars, not dollars, dollars. dollars and sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 That that's first place. Second place, 4,066. So basically like 41 to 40, if we're just cutting <laughs> off the half points and then third place, 3,921 and fourth place was 2890. And so like the first three were so close. Yeah. And he as soon as the game was done, you know, he's like, Yeah, I could have sold off. But it was a a teaching and learning game. So he he was he was being nice. Like and that's what that convention atmosphere, the players make all the difference. Yeah. Right. If he wanted to, he could have just absolutely whooped me and rolled me. So I I don't know. I had a great experience definitely though a try before you buy yeah. don't <laughs> don't run hours. out yeah, yeah yeah but for um for a hobby gamer if you get a chance you know and and if you if you like that sort of thing i love the ability to manipulate stocks and buy into companies and take those actions i had a lot of fun
0: yeah it's it's very interesting to the um you know, me, you, and I have been to to conventions and stuff yep. in the past, and it, it is amazing that you can sit down at a table. It, it, it's kind of the two halves of the coin of awesome, not awesome. It's amazing you can sit down at at a table with complete strangers and have a really awesome experience where everybody is friendly, nice. You know, it's not overly cutthroat, and yep. people are are in in having an enjoyable time, and then you can also have an experience where you've got one person at the table that's just dragging the whole thing down. Yeah. And I guess the, the good part about that is in my experience, that's more of a 80 to 20. Yeah. 80%, I agree with 80, you. 80% of the time it is that, that awesome experience and everybody's going in like, Hey, we all love games and we're going to have fun. And, um, and then every once in a while you get that person that is just like, Right, it's and, just a game, dude, and like, or, or whatever. Well,
1: or you get somebody who who has analysis paralysis, and if the if the game, the person running the game is unable to move things along mm. for one reason or another, that can really yeah. impact the experience. So there's a lot of things. Fortunately, that was just a, an awesome time, an awesome event. I'm glad that it happened. I'm gonna keep the game. I probably won't play it until 9 a.m. on October 17th at the next <laughs> game Holcon. con. Because, yeah, but I. If I played two or three more times over the next two or three years, I, I, I just look forward to that and playing it with different people. Um, Talked to a few other people who are running that game throughout the, the week as well. And, and I just asked for strategies with teaching. And and so it, it was a good experience. I had a lot of fun. Just two more to, to briefly touch on with, because that took five hours out of my day. There yeah. are only 24 hours in the day. Oh, and, that's and, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I was only there for about 14 of them. <laughs> um, so then I played a game of Splendor Duel uh and and we've talked about that just an awesome two-player game yep. and it was unplanned uh, a friend of ours had a little bit of time said hey what do you want to play he had a stack of games and selfishly I said I want to play Splendor Duel and <laughs> and talk about juxtaposing you know one hour this four hours that five hours no in 25 minutes we played and had it packaged up and he was already running to his next game. Yeah. Uh, so just an outstanding game. Which Bruno do you know offhand? Uh, uh, to, to that would be that one. Uh, Catala. Catala, yeah. Yeah, I get my Brunos mixed up. You know, Fadooti and I Catala. I Let so, me check. Oh, well, you would know. That's why I put you on the spot with that. Well, now I got to look it up because I'm probably the, the time I'm wrong. And then my, my evening game, which I was really excited I got to play, and I won't talk for more than 60 seconds on. But I was correct. You were correct. Good, as always. Uh, Carnegie and Carnegie is a game that is also published by Quinta games, but designed by uh, Xavier Georges, uh, art by, Eno tool, some really cool components. And it's played over 20 rounds, interesting mechanic with Carnegie. And it's also a hobby game. Um, it, it, you know, on the four hour side with four people and learning it brand new, but that was completely set up and torn down in four, not to, (laughs) (laughs) um, the interesting thing about that game is that There's always going to be 20 rounds. So uh the and I'm not doing a very good job of explaining the mechanic because I just enjoy it so much, but there's two things that are a lot of fun with it. Um, there's a variable setup where each turn you are taking income potentially in the south, in the midwest, in the east, or the west, based on the movement that the player chooses to take. And then everybody else must follow that. So there's a human resources movement. And you can choose to try to build a route and you can choose to try to improve different things in your company. Um, so everybody's locked into that choice that you do. But when you take your income, you can also just, the only way you get income is by bringing employees back into your company. And so you can choose to just let people sit out there like, no, I'm going to leave those employees in the Midwest because you can see in two or three turns, potentially you're going to be able to get more income. So the level of decision-making and the choices and the crunchiness at that table with four people, for me, honestly, it got a little bit long. But what made it fun was the amount of fun that the other people were having. Yeah, like There was something to, I got joy out of running a game that other people were enjoying. And yeah. that was, um, that, that, as a gamer, that made me think about how I run games with my family. Yeah. Oh, because right away, people are like, are you going to have that this weekend? Do you want to run that back later on this weekend? Do you want to play that again? I'd play that again. And and that was a sense of interesting. So if I can just facilitate a game and get the rules out to my family and make sure everybody's doing what they need to do, we might actually get more games played. Huh. Um, With you not playing? With me not playing the first one yeah yeah, just just running it, being, being that game's master, being that, yeah, that, that, that GM the first one through, make sure everybody gets the rules and, and helping and, and and facilitating. So how much uh you know when you're
0: talking about four-hour games, three-hour yeah. hour games, I'm curious on when I've played games like that, they fall into two camps, and I'm curious to where your experience was at the convention and maybe this is what you're describing, Carnegie, is if I play a game that's that long or that in depth, and then people are kind of head down and it's, there's not a lot of communication. It just falls completely flat for me. Yeah. But when I play a game like that and people start making kind of their own stories up, and we've talked about this a couple weeks ago, um, a couple episodes ago, but the idea of like, okay, I'm running Cracker Jack and I'm doing this <laughs> and I'm a big tycoon and I'm going to try and stop you. And everybody's, got, you know, through the course of a four hour game, all of a sudden you get to the end and everybody's got their own backstory and the way yeah. that they ran in the game and whether that's somebody was rolling dice back or making bad decisions. Like I can't believe this other company I bought went bust. And now I'm the, the even if I'm the laughing stock of the game, it creates a story or a theme around the game that the game doesn't actually provide. And so when those things happen, I really enjoy those games just as quickly. It can turn on a dime to be the other version of the game that you're just like,
1: all right, let's get through this. Yeah. So it becomes a slog quickly. Yeah.
0: So did you enjoy those? Because did they have that story
1: element? They absolutely did. And part of it, I'm I'm intentionally concealing with Carnegie because I'd like to play it with you and we've got a couple other friends at some point and I want to have that strategic advantage, but (laughs) <laughs> the, the board is a map of the United States. And so you're building routes and trying to connect different cities. And you're also, you, you get your income based off of which transportation line are you in. So you're always choosing what am I going to advance and what I enjoy about it. I'm watching everybody else's turn. Oh, interesting. Why did you push your income? You're already in the rail over in the East Coast. Oh, I see what you're doing. And then the whole table can kind of turn on that person yeah um and, and not in a mean way, but it, 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 there's a nice little banter to the table. uh the production quality really does make the game though. there's e- these little pull out slides on your tabs that each time you then go to take income, you get bonuses based on those as well. So it's just easy to see what's happening at the table and I feel like halfway through the game, it's one of those where that game clicks, but then I don't need another four hour game. I can still make turns within the game on it, yeah. Um, and I could keep going on, and I will next week when I talk about three other games. The, the only other thing I want to say, you know, that making new friends and having new people to play games with, that's real. Next week when I talk about the games that I play, I I made a friend in that. uh, Oh, that was in the second day that I was playing games, but uh, there were just different friend connections that were formed in that weekend. That when we're out and about, and when we're playing games, we now have new people to play games with, and that yep. that's the part of the convention. I talk about serendipitous I had no idea that was going to happen. Yeah. Walking in, you know, I'm a little nervous going to a convention all by myself without my normal game people. Yeah, well, and, um, that, and that's
0: a very different um, thing. You know, if if unfortunately I wasn't able to go this year, but it's like that would be different if I were there, probably.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and and so also, it was a Bob
1: Ross happy accident.
0: Yeah, and at the same time, there's a lot of people that are would be completely uncomfortable going, going to a convention by themselves and just being like not for me you know i need to know at least one person so
1: so day one was big hobby games probably last time we'll talk about most of those um (laughs) i do want to just shout out the name of the designer for city of big shoulders uh and and he's been taken and that is raymond chandler the third phenomenal game he actually just recently had to shut down his website just because of some other things going on and uh I'm looking forward to Quintet games, pick, games picking that up and, and folks being able to get that to the table. So those are my three from day one at the convention.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to jump in here on the complete opposite end of the spectrum uh, for a little uh, portion of what's awesome in gaming for, for me. So I was on babysitting duty all weekend. Which is awesome.
1: And uh, you, other people's children? No, just my own. You cannot babysit your own children. No, you cannot. Okay, I just wanted to <laughs> oh, clarify. Oh, okay. So what was that? Maybe the, in your house. Well, you then think, what is that called? Then? What was your hourly wage for babysitting your own children?
0: <laughs> I tre- <laughs> treated <laughs> myself to some nice meals. So I, I was watching my children. Is that uh, supervising my children? Oh, you're good, man. I, I was just a, had to needle you a little. I was bit. the sole caregiver for the weekend. How about that? Oh, you're babysitting your children. Yeah, exactly. Um and I'll put, I'm going to read verbatim what I wrote down here out Fox continues to see play in our house. Um, and it was great. It's a great little cooperative game, uh, in which you are trying to, it's a cooperative with deduction for younger kids. And I played it with my youngest daughter. She went down to the, to the, game shelf to pick something out and she couldn't find it and she goes I just brought this up. Yeah. And so we played it and the first game we just got trounced like completely destroyed by the game. Didn't win. It, it we came down to like a last ditch effort guess. The fox escaped and she Molly was like we need to do that again. You know, and so we played it again the second time and and won and it was great but it was awesome that we played a cooperative game. A six-year-old kid lost the cooperative game. No tears were shed. Let's try it again. And it was like, it was fun. Like when every, every time the fox moved, it was like, oh, it's going to, you know, escape. And um, it wasn't the, I'm losing a game, which yeah. uh, if you're playing competitively, it's like we could direct our anger at the game and not have to be like, oh, dad keeps winning or you know and every kid is You're different together. you know my my oldest daughter is one of those where it's like I can crush her every game and she goes we are playing again until I beat you and we will play until I beat you over and over again as many times as it takes you know and then you go to the other end of the spectrum and and some kids don't like that yeah. type of thing but to be able to um and I think there's been some talk on the discord server about that type of thing with cooperative games and being able to kind of direct that the meanness of the game as, as a unified front against that.
1: Yeah, having control over that a little bit. And yeah. not, not in a bad way, but no. being able to direct and guide it. I'm I'm having deja vu right now, Doug. <laughs> I, I looked back, like, episode 64 is when we did Elf Fox's, our game of the week. Sure. That is very similar to how it was for my 7-year-old when she was your youngest age yeah. now. So to have some of those parallel experiences and to have that um, game provide that... Uh, You want to just give a quick overview about Fox to some of our new listeners? It's
0: uh, it's a game in which uh, you're trying to catch a fox before he escapes. And there are several, um, I don't know if it's 24 different fox cards. And you are rolling dice. You're either going to be looking for clues or revealing suspects. So you roll dice. You've got a Yahtzee style to three chances, three rolls to get either all Pause, which is going to allow you to search around for clues or all eyeballs which is going to give you new suspects and you have to determine which one you're going to do before you start rolling and if at the end of the three rolls all of your dice don't match what you were going for the fox is going to move and slowly start escaping yeah if you get clues you put it in this little kind of machine decoder thing you slide it out and it'll tell you if the fox has that so if it's wearing gloves or has an umbrella. And so then you start revealing suspects and then eliminating them. And I've always been amazed by how you young kids, when you can guide them through and say, all right, we're looking for, you know, the the fox that we're looking for has gloves. And and they They'll can just, just go through and say, nope, not that one, yep. not that one. We can get rid of that one. So it's really cool game to see development and and I think in a lot of ways, skills that you don't think that your kids at that age should have that you can guide them through and ha- have fun with yeah um it's a really cool development game i would say awesome. so that's outfoxed um anything else before we
1: yeah just to put uh, wrap up what i said because i, I want to thank the folks who did sit down at the table and spend five hours for city of big shoulders you've and done something i would never Carnegie. do <laughs> well really and-, and you spent money out of your pocket to to go through that. And I I told them I wouldn't call them out by name and it's really hard for me not to, but I'm just appreciative because everybody was really patient and really kind and and have some, some stories to go on now. So I look forward to the next convention experience.
0: All right. Uh, We talked about the discord sign up for that gameschooler.com slash discord. If you like what we're doing, spread the word about the podcast. That really helps us quite a bit. And if you have questions or con uh, uh, comments, Email at gameschooler.com. Again, email at gameschooler.com. In fact, I should tell you that if you want to submit yeah. <laughs> ideas for the School of Gaming uh, to, to win a copy of Dice Hunters of Therion, that is where you need to send those submissions. Email at gameschooler.com. Didn't mention that
1: earlier, but hopefully that's cleaned up now. Oh, and I do have the City of Big Shoulders set up in the room next door, so let's go play and then we'll come back and finish. Okay, <laughs> yeah, sounds good. <laughs>
0: Three o'clock in the morning. We'll be back. All right, on to the game of the week.
1: The game of the week. The game of the week is a family friendly game we think you should try if you get the chance. This week's game is Turtle Splash with an exclamation point. Doug, give us the stats.
0: Yeah, Turtle Splash is another game that took up some of my weekend. Uh, Originally published in 2021 by Jigamic. And recently released in 2022 by Lucky Duck Games. So if you're in North America, that's who you would get this through. The designers are Joel and Rafael Escalante. And the art is by Maya Zeiden. Two to four players, 15 to 20 minutes. Um, five plus on the side of the box as far as age. I think it's going to top out around 12 or 13 unless you're really getting
1: into... Unless you're at a Wisconsin tavern <laughs> yeah, yeah, with yeah, some exactly. cheese curds and whatever your beverage of choice is.
0: Um, and this is going to fall into our children's game category, yeah. which means it's got a top age. You're not going to be a group of adults is not going to play this game for uh, game night unless there are uh, other beverages involved. What, what year do you think it tops out at? What'd you say? Sorry. I think 12 or 13. Yeah. I think that, that, Right before teenage, where you still got that little glimmer of kid left in you. Yeah. You can still have fun once you kind of get into that, that high school. It's like, eh. I, I don't know. You may disagree with no, me No, I,
1: I actually agree with you. Uh, I, uh, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And it was a, a I don't want to steal your thunder. You go. No.
0: Okay. So, uh, slide and steady wins the race. It's hot. All the animals in the jungle are meeting at the lake. But the turtle is late as usual, so how can he join his friends as soon as possible? Slide down the river. With a flick, players are going to propel a turtle token uh, down a cardboard ramp onto a lake board. And then depending on which part of the lake they land on is going to determine how many animal tiles that they can flip over. So if you're uh, Tile stays on the river, you can flip over one. If you get to the outer part of the lake, you can get uh, flip over two tokens. And if you land in the center of the lake, you can flip over three tokens. Why are you flipping over tokens? Each player has their own personal animal board with uh, three rows of four animals each. And those animals are on in different orders for every board. Uh, so my board is going to look different than Michael's. We have each have three beach balls and we are trying to move those beach bar balls to the end of each row and we do that by flipping over the animal tiles the 12 animal tiles and if we flip over a tile that matches the next animal in a row we can move our beach ball on top of that and you are doing that in order to get to the end of each of those rows if on a turn you make no matches you get a life raft a little life preserver token you can use on a future turn to flip over an extra tile. Uh, you are doing that until somebody gets to the end of each roll, which means that they've flipped over all of the tiles in an order uh, to get to the end of their, their board and that person's the winner. Yeah. So there is a level of dexterity uh, and it kind of has a little bit of a crock thing where the, the center of the board is sunken in. So if you get it in there when you're flipping over the three tiles, so it combines the dexterity and the, the memory, but not in a typical memory where it's like I'm flipping over two tiles and if they match, great. It's if I flip over a tile and it matches the next space on my board, then I get to move up. And so it creates this situation of, of watching and memorizing uh, to the point where on a later turn, I might be able to flip over three tiles and just boop, 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 move up my board if I've remembered where those are, which is easier for younger children than it is for older. I will say playing this with my six-year-old, um, it the, that disjointed nature of, of doing a little bit of dexterity and then memory, I think, pulled her out of the, the, the memory aspect oh, of, of, of the game. Okay. Now, don't get me wrong, she loved the game. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's an
1: interesting observation, though,
0: man. Um, but it was where a thing where it's like, okay, now I'm concentrating on flicking, and I don't necessarily, as a, a five or a six year old, have enough retention to then yeah. say, "Oh, this is now." I remember exactly where I need to go. Yeah. Um. Where and my like, kiddo,
1: who's two years older, um, it's perfect. Yeah. Because she can flick and then immediately task shift and focus her intensity. I'm getting the two or three, but we'll make a mistake occasionally and, and yeah. give the, oh, because of exactly what I think you're talking about. You have to be able to get back on the task and flick it.
0: And now, and, and then playing this with my, my 12-year-old. So it was me, the six-year-old, 12-year-old, and she was like a machine, you know, like
1: she's in that sweet spot of... You already signed her up for the Crokinole Championship yeah, well, at Gen
0: Well, n- not necessarily, but that was one of the good things about it as well, where it's like usually. Um, you're not doing both things well on yeah. every turn. So it's like the idea of you getting a three and being able to flip over three animal tiles sometimes happens when you have no idea where anything is. Yeah. It's and then chance. you, and then you get towards the end of the game where it's like, if I get a three here, I can flip out, flip over all my things and win. And it's like, that's the turn that you fl- get a one. Yeah. And so it's like that counterbalance. I really enjoy
1: that keeps it even and, and kind of moving along and fair for everybody. So is four years old too young, do you think? Because I, I'm the only person who's voted on Board Game Geek for this. I'm looking at the stats right yeah. now, and I put four years old. <laughs> I think
0: so. Okay. I, think, I think because of that, that element of, you know, if, if my six-year-old can focus just on memory, yeah, she's going to do great. If, you know, if she's practicing just dexterity, it's a different well. And then thing. they add
1: in if you're playing a three-player game, she yeah. might actually have to wait not just one turn before it's hers, yeah, but two, and it goes up to two four, people. yeah. So I, I would think that that
0: five is is towards the, the the low end, the low end. And I'm thinking that seven to to 10, eight to 10, 11 is like the sweet spot of this yeah. game. Yeah, um, and because we're dopey adults that don't remember anything. It's easy it's to whip perfect. up. Uh, a yeah. if up you're on us.
1: if you're 40 years old or older, you're gonna fit right in with that five to nine year old. <laughs> we undone, have the s- uh, same capacity the memory. But well, let's talk about what's fun about it, huh? Yeah. What we like about it? Why are we recommending this as a game that people should try if they get the chance? It I'm, was nominated for a a big time Spiel award, and I just got off of that page, so let me get back to interesting board normally- gaming. It's a 2023 Kinderspiel Spiel de Uh, recommended well there you you go it's got some real deal recognition but the the little wooden discs they work really well going down the slide yeah and you'll have these moments where they spin out of the pond in the middle and then you get to talk as a table well is that one in or out and i think there's that moment um for for being a, a kind and friendly gamer um, because if a kid gets too cutthroat with it, uh, no, that's well, out. Well, then their sibling might turn it around on them the very next time. Because well, and the
0: rules, but the rules do say to always err on the side
1: of better. They do. Yeah. That's right where I was going. But sometimes in our initial plays, uh, my seven year old didn't want to do that. She wanted to count dad as being out every time. Gotcha. But then when yep. older siblings came in, they're like, Well, if you're gonna play like that, and so <laughs> Um, there are just different opportunities for interaction. It's not just I flick, I match. You, you have a little bit of banter back and forth throughout because you're watching everybody's um, flick of those nice little discs and, and hoping that you pick up some information that you can use on your turn. Yeah, I think one of the cool things about this game that we don't really talk about in, in
0: much is the idea that, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the river board, did that come assembled? No, no, not assembled, but it does
1: stay built in the box. Let let me. I'm not going to correct you. I was able to get that put together in 30 <laughs> seconds, so it's essentially assembled. Yes. Okay. Okay. But dead, the good- dead reckoning ship, I need to bring over to my friend Doug or <laughs> pay my oldest child to assemble it. Yeah. But but the the good thing is that so I've got this. Uh, elephant slide game
0: it's a very old it's a a number essentially just a roll dice count number type of game and it has this slide that you build it doesn't fit in the box you have to assemble it every time it's it's a disaster so this one outside of that initial setup you are up and running immediately once you get that little ramp the river ramp that you're flicking the, the disc down so I really like that about that for a kid's game of the the little setup. I mean, the rule book is two pages. You can get through it in
1: two minutes and you're up and yeah. playing
0: and you're gonna be done in under twenty minutes, which for a kids game Did awesome. you play with
1: the grandparents at all? Today? I did not. No. Okay. Okay. I think that's another opportunity where you know, and and people can do gatekeeping sometimes. I mean, we open up this segment and I'm talking about hobby games. How can we then jump into Turtle Splash as a game of the week? Yeah. Well, well, let me tell you how, because what Doug just mentioned, you can get this thing out of the shrink wrap and playing in eight to ten minutes and play a delightful game with your kids and and, and your parents. So yeah. you can have an age range of eighty years old at the table and have fun. And they may have a worse memory than the fighters. <laughs> I didn't want you to go there, man. I was trying, I was trying to navigate around. That, I was. A good, that's how you nerf so, the game, uh, listeners. Here's what you have to know. It's a little inside baseball, but it, I wanted to see if Doug's. Did. Doug's dad is phenomenal at, like, Tumbling Dice, <laughs> uh, Crokinole, some of yeah. those flicking games. Yeah. He absolutely – he destroys me when, it, when I've played. So that, that's what he's, I was wondering. If, yeah, he's flipping if,
0: three tiles gr- every Grandpa turn, won. no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, take a seat, Molly. Um, yeah, so I love that that, that that track stays assembled and you can get it set up fast. The adults can play with kids seamlessly. And I think the – you know, and we talked about the unique spin of – trying to find animals in a specific order instead of just matching memory. Yep. Like that to, obviously you're still matching but there there's an order to it. But the biggest key for me is this is one that was asked to be played again. Yeah. Immediately after repeatedly the next day And then the next day yeah. and it's sitting there and it's like can we play this? Can we get this out? Can we let's do that one again. Um and it was and 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 the the one game I played the my my twelve year old my eldest one Emily was trying to crush me and it, there was a competition between me and her and and Molly was just along for the ride but she was having a blast yeah. too yeah you know and it was one of those things where it's like Emily's far ahead and like oh yeah no that's two or flip it or no the panda's over there you know and there's,
1: panda's over there there there's there's helping going on yep um. Which can absolutely make the big sibling furious and, and then make the little sibling feel like they're doing their job. Yeah. Uh, we, well,
0: and opportunities for the big sibling to do that. Yes. So she was, you know, my oldest was saying,
1: I think it's over there, Molly, uh, helping
0: out, you know, as opposed to cutthroat.
1: Yeah. When we first started talking, we talked a lot about the prices of games. And, yeah. And, you know, I, I did some research for this, and I'm struck by some of the similarities to... Turtle Splash with Dice Hunters of Therion, which we we recommended last week and what you just talked about. My 14-year-old wanted to play that game again, wanted to play Dice Hunters of Therion. Let's play it again. Let's play it again. Turtle Splash has been that way for my 7-year-old. Yeah. Let's play it again, Dad. Let's get set up. A Saturday morning after dinner where you know we're, we've just got time for a quick game, and both games are right around that $20 to $25. And yeah. for what you're getting to do with the components in it, I just think it's a, a great little kids game that um, yes it has a cap on it, but I'm not when my youngest turns 14, it doesn't mean that's immediately gonna get traded. You yeah. know what I mean? It yeah. is a game that I think could have some lasting power with families just based on those experiences that they get in that five to seven to eight range.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, as far as some skills, there's some really good ones in this. There's there's concentration. Uh, a game that encourages players to focus their attention or efforts on a task and observation. So, you're, you need to pay attention during other players' turns when they're flipping over those tiles so you can learn where the animals are. And a skill we don't talk about a lot because we don't talk about a lot of dexterity games, but the idea of precision. Yeah. Um, a game that rewards players for being exact and accurate with fine motor skills. So, it's an. Another- and I would add
1: concentration into that one, not to jump in. To your skills, but with that, with the kids having oh, to sure. focus and lock in.
0: Yeah. Um, so a, a great, you know, if you're looking for that kind of two pronged approach of, yeah, we want to sit on a table and we want to work on fine motor skills and focus and concentrate, like all of those things are wrapped up in there in a game that's captivating for six year olds, yep, five year olds, that type of thing. So, um, it hits a lot of unique boxes that, don't normally come up in um, um, kids' games. You know, yeah. a lot of times it's just one or the other. And the fact that this kind of bridges both of them well is, I think, what makes it unique.
1: Well, and I saw one more skill that you tend to talk about a lot, but personal responsibility, a game that highlights the cause and effect mm. nature of players' actions and the related result. With my 7-year-old, once in a while, she'll just feel like smashing the token. Well, that's great, but you're only going to get one guess this turn. Yeah. and. Um, there are other times where, and I am just as, as guilty of this, but where Michael I am Michael throws convinced, it across the table. I don't throw it across the room, <laughs> but I am convinced that that cute little monkey with the nice little hair is over there, and I go to flip it, and I was like, oh, no, that's not the cute monkey. Yeah. And I, I have a very brief moment of shame just like, how did I do that? I should know what, where that. Yeah. Is. Why do
0: I keep flipping over the panda every turn? But then I got to come back to it.
1: So yeah. there's that little bit of, uh, it, it, to say perseverance would be a stretch. But from a kid's standpoint, it's it is more of a personal responsibility of, yeah, you flicked it off the table. You only get one guess. Or, well, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to wait your turn. Yeah. You that direction following yeah. in with the yeah. personal responsibility.
0: Or you thought it was there, you guessed, you know, you guessed wrong. You'll have to wait till next turn to try again. Yeah. You know and. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff in this game, and uh, you know, I know as our kids keep aging, you know, maybe we won't be able to talk about kids' games as much. But um, for right
1: now, we need to highlight the ones that are winners,
0: and this yeah, is a winner, definitely. So that is our our game of the week, and as far as best fit, I think classroom, homeschool, and ultimately, this is a quick parent-child activity. Yep, you know, to be able to, you know, both of us mention that of being able to get it set up 15 minutes, we're going to have some bonding time. We're going to do and have a shared experience. This is an awesome game
1: for that. And it travels well. So I know you're trying to wrap up the segment, but if you are going to your grandparents' house, if you do have a road trip, you can take it with you and set it up on someone else's table, and it's sturdy. As long as it's level. I mean, bring a level with you. I'm saying that <laughs> sarcastically,
0: but go ahead. Doug, Doug charting all his wins. Yeah. All right. So that that is our our game of the week Turtle Splash by Lucky Duck
1: Games. The School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming. This week, We'll be discussing what attracts us to a game. Yeah, interesting
0: topic. I certainly one of those things where, where, as you were talking about the city of big shoulders, yeah, I'm looking at the board game geek entry, and I'm saying, okay, these are not hitting my criteria yeah. of, um, I'm glad Michael enjoys it. He had a great time with it, which is awesome. It's not a game that I want to play. It's not a game that I'm attracted to for several different reasons. And I just kind of, I don't know what you did, but I just made a list of like, this is kind of my hierarchy of things, maybe not hierarchy, but these are things, and I can't really say one is more important than the other, but I've got four things that stand out to me when I'm looking at a game or I'm looking at the Essen preview list or a Gen Con list. Like these are the new games coming out. I, I think, um,
1: November's hotness. Yeah.
0: Board Game Geek just had a thing of like all the games that are coming out from yellow. Uh, that were announced at Essen over the next year. So things like that. What what do you have? What is that? Did you take a similar approach?
1: I did, but mine's very simple. It comes down to, usually I have a question. That question is, what's happening here? And I look at the box, and I look at the game board. I've gotten a lot better over time because that decision has led me down to some very wild purchases. <laughs> but I, I got to tell you, maybe I'm just too shallow. The, the box... If I don't know the game, like if it's not in a line or a theme that I know or not from a publisher, the box will typically captivate me, and then the game board um, is typically the other thing that will pull me in, especially since you you talked about Gen Con or this convention I was at just this past weekend. I walked by the game Three Ring Circus, and I didn't know what it was. I'd heard a lot about the game, heard a lot of buzz, but when I saw the game board, it stopped me in my tracks, and I went, Ooh, what is that? <laughs> and I stood there and watched, you know, a, a full turn uh-huh. from two different people. I was like, yeah, I want to check that out. The game board brought me in. It wasn't a review. It wasn't a box. It was just seeing what was happening on there.
0: So. Well, and it's funny because that game board is, would turn me off. Yeah. Based, yeah. On, based on, like, the artwork. Yeah. So, like, my things are, one of the biggest things for me is theme. Not necessarily because I don't like uh, fantasy themes. I've got plenty of fantasy games. I have, you know, you you name a genre, I've got a, a representation of that. However, if your theme is unique, I will pay attention to it. Yeah. And it's like, I don't have the mental capacity or the, you know, space in my overhead compartment to learn a whole new fantasy world and all of the nuance of why these dragons are different than every other dragon that's out there. Coupled with the fact that you have very much a a copycat industry that seems to follow kind of theme trends. So there was wingspan and then all of a sudden you start seeing all these nature and plant games to then where that becomes a thing where it's like, all right, another, another plant game, or it's not, it's not unique anymore. Um, The first one was interesting. But once there's three or four more after that, it's like, all right, I've, I've seen that. Um, so that's one of the first thing that will catch my eye where it's like, oh, this is about, you know, a bus or, yeah. you know, making cars or, you know, you name it. But just something different, even where it's a something like Ex Libris, where it's you are collecting books for a library yeah. and putting them on your shelf in a certain order, that type of thing. So the theme is always important to me. I don't know where that ranks for you as
1: far as it, selecting. It, it doesn't. It, yeah. it really doesn't. It's, it's more of I want to know what's happening in the game and how is that going to make me feel and what actions are going to be taken and does it fit for other people that I play games with. Yeah. Um, so I do get the importance, though, and the, what I will say, although it doesn't attract me, to a game as much it certainly makes a difference if it stays in the collection and that's a different school of gaming yeah topic or segment but here's where where i think we're a little bit different i'll play almost anything yeah and i think you're you're more discerning if i were to just kind of put a a judgment on how we, we would approach games um i think you do a better job of allocating The amount of resources that something's going to take to get it played, and I'm a little bit more reckless, and we'll just jump in and say, "Let's get it to the table and play it." Yeah. Um. So that initial uh, the the board and the box tend to draw me in.
0: Well, and is that pretty shallow?
1: But it's what it is. Well, not necessarily. I I think there's also a, a thing of
0: like acquired knowledge of of knowing. We'll talk about you know in the high five about game mechanisms of you know, after so many years, it's like I have a pretty good idea that I'm just not going to enjoy that game. Yeah. You know, just based on on mechanisms or, or things like that, um, that there is a knowledge there that is is I would say I guess maybe what makes me discerning is saying like, nah. Yeah, nah. I think
1: for me it's a never ending curiosity. Yeah. And and so I I wanna try and, and play it, play it, play sure. it, play it, play it. Um
0: so, I mean, getting back to the theme, yep. like that's a thing where it's like if somebody says they're coming out with a new Marvel game or a new Disney game. And we've talked about some folks in the Discord server have, that's come up about where that theme of, oh, Harry Potter, that allows me to get somebody to the table that maybe wouldn't before. And certainly I have those IPs and things like that as opposed to just fantasy or kind of generic where it's like, oh, there's a new Marvel game coming out. There's a James Bond game coming out. I'm interested. I'm gonna There's take a look. There's another
1: new Marvel game coming out. There's
0: always a new Marvel game coming out. <laughs> um, so that's a big one for me. Theme. The other one, which you talked about, which encompasses the the cover and all of that, is the artwork. Mm-hmm. You know, if you know if it's bright and vibrant, I have two classifications. If it's bright and vibrant and it just kind of jumps off the table, I'm going to be attracted to that game. The other thing that I really love is when the art style is married with the theme. So for example, a game like hit Z-Road, where all of the art is based on the theme of the game. And the, the story of this guy, a kid built this game on a road trip, trying to escape zombies and all of the tokens and bits are from gas stations and leftover games that he acquired and it's like there's this whole backstory built into the components and the artwork martin Walls two-week holiday in the (laughs) united states right um or caper is another good example where that artwork is so closely tied to the theme parks might be a good one yeah to where it really has that feeling which i think goes towards my marketing side is why that appeals to me is that branding of branding the, the, the artwork and all of the components with the theme really does a lot for me Yeah. Um, as far as looking at a game. Um, after that, I'm definitely going to the playability aspects of it. It's like, oh, it really looks awesome. Like a good example is the Fantasy Flight Games has a new game, the Marvel Dagger. So it's like it's checking the artwork, it's char- checking the theme, it's checking the artwork, and then I go to the stats and the playability. When I see it's three hours, a lot of That's learning curve, setup time, yeah. all those type of things, it becomes a thing of like, I would like to play this, but I don't need to own it. Got it. So it's like I'm still attracted to the game, but there are things where it's like, I'm not gonna get this to the table. It's not one that you know, we play two games that we had scheduled. We still have time for another game that I'm gonna like oh let's pull this off the shelf sure you know some games stay in my collection or or appealing to me in that regard um and then i think lastly is is mechanisms i don't think it's important to me on the regard of um if it's a mechanism i don't like it's more of a deterrent than a attraction i guess um where it's like if it's a, if it's something that i don't care for it's going to keep me away as m- not as much, oh, it's a drafting game. I really yeah. want that. Like it's more ancillary towards the end. But it could be, you know, it, it, it's more of a buffer uh or a booster rather than click, it's got that. Every right. time a drafting game comes out, I need to look at that. Um, type of thing.
1: Yeah, I think that that to me is what theme is to you in a lot of ways. And we've talked about that on other episodes, but the the thing that really pulls me into a game is what are the, and, and when I say that, what's happening here, what are the other movements that people are doing that impact my turn? So on your turn, when you do something, how does that impact me? Mm. And if that back and forth clicks, I'm into that game. I'm going to play it all the way through it's not going to get abandoned halfway through, whether it's solo or multiplayer. Yeah, The games that work for me that have worked really well, that are smooth solo, have a system where there are quick turns that are happening not on my turn that then impact my turn. I'm thinking Guild of Merchant Explorers. I'm also thinking Carnegie, a game that was talked at the top end of the hour. Uh, Two games I've played in 2023 solo that I really like. What the atom is doing, what that 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 yeah. bot is doing, how that impacts my turn, and I can get almost as engaged, almost not quite, almost as engaged as if I'm playing at a table full of people. Yeah, I love that about a game, and if a game cannot do that solo, it's getting traded. Yeah, it's going into somebody else's home so they can get use out of it.
0: So does the the idea of of uh, you're walking through? So I think about. This stuff of, like, walking through a convention, you're walking through Gen Con, and there's stuff all over the place of, like, what catches your eye. Oh, excuse me. I just got hit in the face by somebody's <laughs> bag. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's got a calyx on their back <laughs> yeah. that just knocked me over. Um, and and the idea of, like, what makes you stop. If, if somebody standing in a booth
1: says that this has a solo mode, does that pique your interest more? It does. I look for it, especially if it is one of the – because that's where the learning comes in if i'm gonna have to invest one to three hours to learn a game but i at least know i'm gonna get it played even if it's all by myself um that it does the art though in in the box and what's actually happening in the game is gonna pull me in first the solo is just that it's that icing on the cake it's that oh i know i will get this played if 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 I take this home.
0: now. Well, and that also comes to you as far as the the color efficiency, right? <sighs> Being able—I mean, that's a a thing for you. I mean, yeah. I don't know how
1: much of our audience that affects. Yeah, um, it's it's incredible. That's where I need to see it on the table. I cannot just—I no longer make decisions just based on pictures that I see on Board Game Geek. I yeah. want to see them on the table. I mean, because uh, that—but that's me. That's but that, unique.
0: Uh, but no, because I am it's, you know, whether your, your specific brand of, of color deficiency or, or whatever is, is unique to you, but it's certainly a bigger, broader issue that games are being designed with icon, iconography and yep. things like that to, to help with colorblindness. But it is interesting that, that there are situations where it's like, you can have a game and it's all of these player colors look identical to me. How am I going to yeah. tell the pieces apart? Yeah. So it's like, being able to do that is a pretty big attractor right of it's the or, biggest
1: detractor yeah yeah if i can't tell especially if one meeple is a merchant and another meeple is a murderer or whatever's going on you yeah know, and, and one's and red a, and a, one's and yeah game, i it is the biggest detractor for yeah
0: me. yeah interesting anything else that that you want to highlight or we didn't touch upon?
1: I think we covered a lot there. How about you?
0: I think we're good. So those are some ideas of, of things that attract us to, to board games when we're walking through a convention hall. Go on the Discord. Let us know what uh, what kind of things draw you into a game. If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. And this week, we're not going to talk about any games, but we are going to talk about the mechanisms in games that we enjoy, um, and rank them are our, our, high five game mechanisms. There are about 8 million on board game geek. Yep. And some that were, uh, it was a hard list. I was happy to, to cut it down to five. There are some that were on my honorable mention. One that I think will probably surprise you, but it almost feels more
1: like a, a genre than an, a mechanism. No, for I me. was running into that as well. I came in with 12. We will not have any carryover. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. there's so many, it's, how do you choose? So, yeah, well, and it's, it's funny too, because it's like, as, as, as
0: quick as I could say, I like this mechanism, I can probably point out four or five games that have that mechanism so that I never want to play again <laughs> in my life. Right. There's no yeah perfect mechanism. And so if there are some that are kind of broad, I will narrow down which parts I like or, sure. or things that I don't care for in that, that type of, uh, of mechanism. But, Without further ado, let's let's hit the list. What do you got? Number My five. My number
1: five is open bidding. I love mm. being able to bid and put an auction. He does where every. Yeah, I really I do. I I really do, and 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 that's part of the reason why I love the good Dr. Reiner Knezia. He has a lot of games where you can openly bid, and everybody yeah. knows the information, or most of the information. So, <laughs> uh, an open bidding game would be one where you're – Naming a, a price or points to try to get something into your hand, typically uh, to try to improve your odds in playing the game, and I I really enjoy open bidding. That's my my number five.
0: Awesome. Um, my number five is dice rolling. Um, what's, oh, I'm getting a high five across the table here. Dice rolling is one that when that is in a game, I really enjoy the randomness and the the chaos and fun that comes with that mechanism.
1: And you're really good at decoding the dice. I think even before they actually land on the table, you call out what it is like, how did he see that?
0: <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, it is one of those things where I, I know some people don't like it unless there's mitigation and, and being able to go up and down or things like that, but the amount of gameplay memories that I have of people hooting and hollering and everything coming down to a last die roll or even just to, to to end a round. I think of a game like Las Vegas and you're rolling, you've got one die left and if it goes perfect, awesome, but it could also go horribly wrong and you roll it and everybody around the table is waiting. It seems like it goes in slow motion and then everybody laughs when it's, when it's bad or good. And that just really enhances gameplay for me in all of the games that I can think of, whether it's Dice Throne, Las Vegas, um, King of Tokyo, Dice Hunters of Therion, like those games, that element of fun and randomness What's that?
1: I love it. Before the segment we said we weren't going to talk about games, we can't help ourselves. Doug just threw out like eight classic dice chuckers right there. They're just it's awesome, man. Uh as examples, um chicken,
0: you know, you you name it, but that that element even something like um the Artemis project, yep. which is essentially a euro game with with dice rolling or some of the dice worker placement that you're rolling dice just adds a level of randomness that I just don't get that same feeling from a card flip or something like that. I also
1: so. feel like dice help to level the playing field and bring kids to the table and, yeah. and newer gamers. Um, yeah, that, that's a great one. Don. All right.
0: So that's my number five dice rolling. If, if Michael has it later in his list, I sorry
1: if I no, that's awesome. ate up all the good points. My number four is economic, which could be considered a whole category and Board Game Geek says that economic games uh, encourage players to develop and manage a system of production, distribution, trade, and or consumption of goods. I'm really talking more about manipulating prices and stocks and points and outcomes sure. with actions. That's what I, I love a good economic game that allows me to decide when to buy a resource so that the price on it will either soar or dive. I think one of the reasons why I really enjoy economic games, Doug, I don't get to do this in any other phase in my life. What we you so, jump in? Oh, so stock holding
0: is is on a a board game that, geek that, list of mechanisms. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I this is not something that I get to do in my day job. My no, day you job don't, is oh, very, you very. You're steady. not a day trader. This, you know, I, I coach high school basketball as well, and there's a little bit of. You know, it's subtle coercion and things like that with Cut referees, but I don't player. do that. No, I would never do that. But I, there's something about being at the table that for that, you know, 30 to um more minutes, uh, I get to play a role and try to sabotage some things. Yeah, tycoon. And do tycoon. But also have that systems level thinking of what are the other players doing and that pushing yeah. and pulling, buying into a business, selling off a business. So it's a bigger overarching one. But I had like eight other sub-mechanisms. Sub I said, I'm just going to talk about it. I just got done playing a ton of economic games this weekend. I, I like it.
0: All right, cool. Um, I do know that you like that. I agree. Um, <laughs> my number four is deck building. Um, this is a mechanism that uh, essentially you are uh, acquiring. You have a, a deck of cards. You are acquiring new cards into that deck filtering them out, sometimes getting more, and then drawing so many a turn, utilizing those cards, acquiring new ones, shuffling, repeating, that type of thing. And it can go from anywhere from being the entire mechanism of a game to being a part of a game. Um, And I think one of the things that I really like about deck building is it is part of a mechanism that I think I'll talk about later, but the thing I really like about it, it, it does create moments in games that I really like, which are Really awesome turns. So almost every deck building game that you play or I have played, every turn is not going to be amazing, but you always get to do something because you got a hand of cards. So you can always play. So you're going to have a lot of regular turns and feel good about it, but you are going to have those super awesome turns when all of your cards seem to come up at the right time that you can potentially, potentially, <laughs> That you can play multiple out. It's like, I get to draw two cards. I'm drawing those. I'm doing this. I'm playing that out. That's going to allow me to do this and then do that. And I'm attacking there and doing all this stuff. And you have like two or three monster turns in a deck building game. Yeah. And I just really love chasing that feeling.
1: When it works, it works great, doesn't it? Yeah. So that's that's my number
0: four deck building.
1: Nice. My number three, surprise to nobody, trick-taking. I love a game in which you are taking tricks and sometimes, um, you know, working with a partner, going against other people in a trick taker. You, you, and I tried hard not to just get board game geek definitions. I wanted to give kind of put my own flavor on it, but I probably should have grabbed a board game (laughs) geek definition for trick taking because it's a little difficult to describe. But typically, a card game and you are looking to um, collect an item. Um, based on what else has been played at the table. I grew up playing Euchre, uh, which is a trick-taking game, very popular in the Midwestern United States, at least in Wisconsin. And, uh, and there are a lot of other trick-taking games that have come out ever since the crew you know, won the spiel uh, a few years back, and trick-taking is certainly on the rise. But And if we never get another trick-taking game in our house, we'll be okay. I yeah, mean, we we have plenty of of trick-taking games and this genre is just robust with different types of of games. Yeah, I guess I
0: would describe it as a, a usually everybody is throwing a card into the middle of the table in turn order and whoever played the highest card is going to collect all of the cards that were played
1: or whatever the unique the win condition is for the game for for that. Yeah.
0: But yeah. but usually that's the the kind of turn structure. Everybody yeah. throws a card out and then Whoever has the most powerful one takes all of them, and, and then most that's, games, that's a trick.
1: Yeah, and in most games, if you don't have that or if you have uh, a different you know, power card, a trump card, you can then step in and take it. So I, yeah. I just absolutely love it. Kids games, uh, more complex uh, card games, games with limited communication, no communication, open communication. I, I really enjoy a good trick taker.
0: I agree. I do enjoy trick taking games as well. Unfortunately, it's just one that
1: I find really hard to get to the table uh, on a regular basis, which is why they take repeated plays too. You know, it's yeah, not well, one that you can really play once and be like, Oh yeah, I, I understand how that works. Yeah. Usually there's some nuances and some, some shorthand with each trick taker, you know. Uh, and but even even the hurdle just to get to the idea of trick taking, yeah.
0: And then to be able to transfer that to different games and all the variation. Do you want uh, me to
1: throw out eight different examples here? Or no, we just moving on.
0: No, we're good. Okay. Uh, my number three is a somewhat broad one, but it is set collection. I enjoy racing after sets in any combination of, of where it's one of those things where it's like, if you get five of these by the end of the game, you get an extra 10 points. Or if you need to collect these items to then turn in for something, that kind of resource Set collection, the idea all the way to a basic rummy of collecting sets and runs, a ticket to ride where you're collecting the cards to turn them in, like that yep. idea of I need to get this specific combination or just a ton of them. You know, can I get a metric ton of green cards for whatever reason or game? I really enjoy that process, that that acquisition of sets and combinations and how they'll
1: score at the end of the game. I have it on my list as well. It's down a little bit further. It was in the 10 spot, but it, it could have just as easily have been in, in Oh, I in thought, my okay, spot. gotcha, further down. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, it, it, I love set collection. Uh, it's a lot of fun. The other one, though, if I'm doing a list, and if I'm being honest, my number two is race. I mm. love when a game has a race mechanic in it. It doesn't have to be the sole mechanic. And Doug and I have played enough games over the few years that, I will have to, especially if there's a kiddo at the table, one of our kids at the table, i have to exercise a little bit of restraint because if a game has a race mechanic in it, I want to test it immediately. What happens if I get all the way to the end first to see if I can try to either break the game or just get the quick win? I want to collect the quick win. That's how, that's how change happens. Um, but I always have, and I don't know where that comes from. Uh, but in a tabletop,
0: game it's it's probably the most directly competitive one of the most directly competitive mechanisms
1: that i can play with all people where it's just on the face oh he's not being rude or he's not being a jerk he's just playing the game um and I, i really do enjoy that and i enjoy when um when the whole game is a race as in heat or downforce or when it's just a part of uh, the game even if it's you know root is a race to 30 we just played a game tonight that was a, a race to 20 i i love where that just knowing that endpoint is here yeah. what's the turtle one that that you told me to pick up at gen con and i brought home the little race the hare and the tortoise oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I it's a it's a card game but there's definitely you're racing to get multiple characters across and there's There's bluffing thrown in it, which is also further on my list, in six, which I shouldn't have brought up here. But, Doug, I'll send it (laughs) to you. What's your number two?
0: All right. My number two is uh, one of those that I really enjoy, but it does have some caveats to it. And that I I put down engine building. uh, uh, Board Game Geek calls it chaining, I believe. But the idea of operating efficiently and getting a system working is something that I really enjoy. It's also part of the, the thing I, I hinted to during deck building is making yeah. an efficient deck that is running. I really enjoy that. The caveat I have is I don't want to do it in a solitaire fashion.
1: Or the same way repeated times, right?
0: Yeah, like I need some interaction with that game um, because I, I, it, it, it's interesting because it's a mechanism that I love and it's also a mechanism that I hate. Which is the idea of, okay, we're gonna pass out cards and then we're all gonna sit here for three minutes with our head down and try and min max our entire engine. Yeah. I loathe that in a game. Like, it, nothing takes me out of a game more than that. However, I do love the process of building an engine and the idea of like maybe a game like Gizmos where you're building it up and it's just, oh, I fire this, I do this. Um, Flamecraft would be another good yeah. example of that efficient building of, of, of your play space, but once it gets solitaire or it's too prone to min maxing, which is why I like the things like dice rolling or deck building that add that level of randomness that prevents that type of activity. Um, so it's my number two with a caveat. I mean, Michael knows that I'm a, I like the efficient you know, building efficient things, uh, in games. So I'm sure that's not a surprise to you that that would be high on my list.
1: No, it's not at all. And you're also very quick to figure out where those efficiencies are. Um, and I, I don't want this to come off rude, but I think we're friends. I can say it. You're, you're brutal to designers that don't quite get it right. (laughs) Like if somebody comes up just short, that, that game is not staying in in your collection. No. So when somebody does get it right, though, you can kind of see he'll just sit back in the chair and give the nod. And I know, yeah. like, oh, I think he's going to want to play that one again. So, yeah, that's that's a great one. All right. I, and it was on my list. Um, my number one is and I thought you might I thought you might have this on your list. That's where I, I went all the way down to 12. Um, but my number one is worker placement. Mine as well. Oh, okay, let's talk about it together. Because it, no. I, I think, well, I think we have it in very different ways. Interesting. So, Go uh, ahead. I, I love when it works with other mechanics that are on my list. Mm. I, I love where, you know, in, in some of the games that I talked about earlier, both Carnegie, you have these little workers, City of Big Shoulders, you have these little partners, you send them out on the board to take actions to improve what else is happening uh, in, on your board. And so I I absolutely love the optionality that worker placement opens up. I got to tell you, I also love the pain that happens when somebody jumps into the spot that I wanted to take, and that forces me to be creative. That forces me to try to solve a different problem, and then I still get an outcome that I can live with and keep the game moving. I enjoy most of the time the downtime that is involved in a worker placement, I feel like I am invested on other people's turns. And we've talked about that in some worker placement games that we've talked about recently, yeah. but it's your number one too. So go ahead.
0: No, the, the thing I love about it is, so anybody that, wow. I'm, I'm assuming if people listen to the podcast know that I'm, I'm a very big proponent of the idea of positive things happening on turns. Yeah. The idea of of I'm more towards the positive than being negatively punished for not doing something or, or getting negative points. I like the idea of I go to this space and I'm getting rewarded. Now, whether that reward is with resources that I can spend and do something else with, or that I get to take this special action
1: that contributes to your
0: engine because I picked that space or if, you know, those are probably the two biggest ones and it doesn't matter whether it's a cooperative one or if I'm placing dice out, um, I love the interaction that that provides, which is exactly what you said. Somebody took the space I wanted to take, and now I have to figure out a different way. But the fact that I still get to place a guy out and still get the rewards or the, the alternative action or whatever that is, even if it's something simple as, oh, I guess I'm going to go to this space and get a coin. It's like
1: getting a coin. But that, that's the, and I jumped in a little too soon. <laughs> What I also love about worker placement is the setup turn where I may only have two workers left, but I can see that, yeah, I might take this lame little turn of getting a coin, but now I have five coins. So on the yeah. last turn, I could place a worker and go upgrade something and I get that sense of nobody sees what I'm doing here and yeah. I get to go do it. And then the round, everything ties out like a nice spreadsheet or a a. a, a Good book. Yeah, everything just ends the way that it should within a round of the game, not within the whole game. That yeah. That, when you talk about awesome turns, I, I tend to get that feeling in a lot of different worker placements where it's done well.
0: Yeah. And I think that's where it comes in where that where it's that that engine building that I do like. Yeah. Where it's okay, I've got you know, I got five bricks this turn, which then I'm going to use on a stone age reference, you know, and, and then put through a, a funnel next turn. And I'm going to do something three or four times because I got that many. Uh, the only thing I don't like on, on worker placement is when there are too many options. Oh, you know, cause then it gets into that analysis paralysis type of situation where everybody's like, well, I could go here. And if I do that, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, or I could go here, but that's yeah. going to allow me to do that, that, and that. So this is going to be like once it gets to that level, it's a it's a problem, and I don't enjoy it. Um, but when those options are and that's manageable,
1: just, in my opinion, that's not just heavy games. There are family worker oh, placement yeah. games that can get there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You
0: know, so when when things get slowed down, and maybe that's you know, Michael talked about me being ruthless on things where it's like in a great way. Yeah, when <laughs> that that can you know bring a game to a crawl because everybody's waiting for that one player or. Um, you know, those can be bad, the negative sides, I guess, of worker placement. But for the most part, the ones that I enjoy have that where it's like, okay, I've got five options. And the, yeah. I think it's, it becomes a thing where it's like, if, if the chaining stuff is happening on my turn in my area, awesome. If it's happening on the board that everybody has to process it each turn and round and figure out, then it begin Begins to be a problem, but if it's just the simple worker placement of, all right, I get you know, yeah, three brick for going there, and okay, I can add another meeple if I do this or, um,
1: well, we we've play tested a handful of games that have worker placement in it somewhere, and I think if anyone is working on developing a worker placement game, send it to Doug because he <laughs> will he I mean it as a compliment. You'll you'll improve. What the designer is working on, or you'll at least give but, them. But some
0: people like that. Yeah, you know, some yeah, yeah, people yeah.
1: like that. So it's not. Cool. A, um, thing. Any
0: honorable mentions? I
1: have five left. It looks like uh, I'll I'll fly through these. Bluffing. I absolutely love when thought that'd boom. be higher on your list. Actually, <laughs> it was six. It was six. I th- that was the one I was going to sneak in if we had crossover earlier. I, I really enjoy drafting for the yep. most part, especially in family games rolling rights are something that I enjoy, even if I'm playing them all by myself, like the Guild of Merchant yeah. Explorers that I talked about earlier. Uh, do you have any? Because I have two more, but I don't want to...
0: Uh, the one that I thought was kind of a bigger genre was cooperative. Okay. You know, where it's like, I don't, I don't know if that's a mechanism or a complete type of game Uh, that I felt like I do enjoy cooperative games, but I didn't know whether that fit on the, the mechanism end. And the other one... Was this the, this was the one that was harder to cut, but I, it needed to it didn't beat out the other ones quite frankly. But that's tile placement. Oh. That, that polyomino thing is something that I really enjoy, and I think yeah. that goes into the efficiency, yeah, type of thing of of the spatial Where's perception the fit and how can I manipulate this and wrap it around, turn it around, and get it everything fit. I do enjoy that's like an
1: O C D type thing that I enjoy, uh, in a gameplay. Cool. Um, well, I've got two more, and I, right. I we've played a lot of them. The first one is Pick Up and Deliver. I do enjoy a game where I'm getting something, and I have to figure out how to get it across the board or, or, or back in somewhere. I love Pick Up and Deliver and Push Your Luck. Uh, yeah, uh, I thought that'd be yeah, higher on yeah, your list, too. It brings me a, a lot of joy, and, and especially um, where there's audible joy and pain on Push Your Luck. I do like <laughs> where the table is cheering for and cheering against. It's just it's a great little mechanism. Yeah, and
0: I guess the when the, done well. the the thing about this high five list and you heard it the entire time we were talking is how much these mechanisms bleed into one another. Yep. And that that push your luck also connected a lot of times with dice rolling and worker placement a lot of times connected with engine building and 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 the stock market with bidding and and bluffing. And so a lot of these things are are intermingled, sometimes it's hard to pull them out um, into their individual components. And there's, there's no surprise that if you like one, there may be a good chance that you like another one. So let us know on Discord what you guys think, or, or send us an email, email at gameschooler.com, uh, what mechanisms that that make
1: your high five list that we didn't talk about. But if you're sending us an email at email at gameschooler.com, you might as well also include a a game of the week segment so you can be entered in our drawing. Yeah. A school of gaming segment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't already follow us on X at game we already talked about the discord enough. So I'm not going to say any more about that next week. We did do a little pivot. So as a fake tease next week, we're going to really do deducto. Uh, we're going to be talking about upgrading to a new printing, when you should maybe do that
1: or or when it's
0: not worth it. Um, I might
1: have to tap out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad. I've done a great job with not buying games. We're going to get in here and talk about a bunch of new games you got to go out and buy. No, no, just whether you need
0: to yeah, or
1: not. I'm looking forward to the conversation, Doug.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to be talking about uh, the High Five games on big box shelves right now. So ones that you can go out and get that we would highly recommend. So thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We truly appreciate it.
1: Now get out there and keep gaming.